Drax is the largest provider of renewable electricity in the UK and plays a critical role in ensuring a secure energy system. The company has plans to invest billions in new infrastructure, such as bioenergy with carbon capture and storage, which will create thousands of jobs, whilst also delivering the energy needed by homes and businesses up and down the UK. Discover more at Drax.com. Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Max Jeffrey, and I'm joined by Isabel Hardman and James Heal. It was the last day of Labour conference today. Isabel, how did it go? Well, it can be a bit of a graveyard shift because Labour leaders tend to give their speech sort of in the middle of conference. It was something Tony Blair introduced so that he could go back to London and sort of say, you know, I'm busy being in government. Um, And Keir Starmer's brought it back. And sometimes you can get a very quiet Wednesday. But actually the, the choice today was to have the two public services that Labour wants to talk about the most, so education and the NHS, and two very good speeches from Bridget Phillipson um, and West Streeting. I think it's interesting because both, to a certain extent, are being limited by the very tight restrictions that Rachel Reeves is putting on spending. So if you listened to Bridget Phillipson, You know, she talked a lot about the things that weren't working within the system, but she wasn't able to promise full scale reform or, for instance, the sort of not that Labour ever promised this universal free childcare that that was never promised by Labour. But I think some people have been hoping that it would be. And so her, I wouldn't say her approach is more incremental, but she's not exactly saying, look, you know, welcome to the land of milk and honey in early years in education. Um, So I thought that was interesting i thought it was striking that she also wanted to talk about maths um and about how this country had a a problem with maths um but that her solution was at the other end of um the education journey so um in primary rather than mandating uh pupils to do it beyond 16 i thought that was quite interesting and then on the nhs look over the past sort of decade and a bit a speech on the NHS at the Labour conference has really been a sort of comfort blanket um, for the party. And it's been, you know, look at these nasty Tories. They're doing bad things and not very much depth beyond that. But where Streeting's speech was really challenging for the party, he said something he's, he said quite a few times. But, you know, it's, it's still difficult to say to a Labour conference hall that the NHS is no longer the envy of the world, that it has to reform that he wants to shift um, the focus and resources away from cute and into the community, into preventive medicine. And, you know, that's that's a big promise. And that's clearly one of Labour's flagship reforms for its first few years if it makes it into power. But I'm just sort of reflecting on the two things that make it different to the last time Labour embarked on a series of really big NHS reforms to solve an existential crisis, which is the language he used again today. And that was around the turn of the millennium. And back then, the way that Alan Milburn got the entire healthcare sector to sign up to these reforms, very ambitious targets, um, big changes to the structures of commissioning and so on, was that he also said, we're going to give you basically all the money you need. And that is not what is being proposed uh, today. It's also um, it, it's also a you know a difficult thing to say to any party because 
it tends to involve, unless you're going to allocate more resources to acute and to primary community, you're going to end up having to close hospitals. And um, there are two things that antagonise MPs of all colours. One is uh, reforms to the planning system. So good luck, Keir Starmer, with that. And the other is a proposal to close a local hospital or a unit at a local hospital. And regardless of the quality of that hospital, whether it is, you know, literally killing people, uh, you can bet that the local MP will oppose that closure. So it's, you know, it's going to be quite a tough fight. And I think that the final reflection I have on West Streeting's speech is that he did say that Labour was going to get around the table with the BMA and bring a resolution to um, the industrial action. Now, firstly, I think that the BMA is is probably getting to a stage where it, it, it may need to do that because while it has marched doctors up the hill emotionally and while they are going to need you know, a huge amount of mar- marching down by any Secretary of State, I think that there is a lack of public sympathy for, for some of the actions that the BMA has been pursuing more recently. But I, I just think that there's a sort of there's a kind of level of antagonism between doctors and the government at the moment that is not just going to be solved by what will have to be a reasonably modest pay deal because there is no way and Streeting himself has said this there is no way that any government is going to accept that pay demand that the BMA is still holding out for yeah just to pick up on what Isabel says there I mean I think that's really interesting is how the conditions are now very different from what they were you know, when Labour was in power 20 years ago. And you know, Tony Blair's whole big thing was reform, but get the money. So you had the carrot and stick approach uh, for public services. This time, we've just got the stick. There is no money left. And so, yeah, Wes Treating and some of his colleague speeches was very much about spelling hard truths out, really, and encouraging the public sector reform and speaking the language of, you know, being willing to not really um, just be about the uh, providers, but being on the side of consumers, i.e., you know, taxpayers who pay for these services. The difficulty is, of course, and I thought, you know, Isabel wrote a very good blog today talking about how disciplined they was and everyone pulling together. The question is, once you do get into office, the incentives of those public services do not always align with those of the Labour Party and the government of the day. And so whether once you get into office, you actually have to oversee these things, there's often conflicting agendas, for instance. Mm-hmm. And I thought, for me, I think the two speeches that I was most interested in, two Labour women, were on the first day, um, Andrew Rayner and the second day, uh, Rachel Reeves, and how I think that levelling up agenda plays out, given how we've seen the past four years, there's been lots of kind of bum fights over who should get what in terms of levelling up funding, compared to what Rachel Reeves is saying, being the Iron Chancellor, etc., and the kind of Treasury orthodoxy uh, personified, that is going to be a really interesting tension, one which could make or break the fortunes of the next Labour government. And James, you were also quite taken by um, the Labour Friends of Israel event. Could you talk to us a bit about that? So I think, yeah, in some ways, there's also a story of two two cues in some ways, if you want to put a very British angle on this uh, this conference. One, of course, was the very excited cue that formed all an hour before Keir Starmer's speech. But also last night, um, a few hours after he spoke, was more than a thousand people coming together for the Labour Friends of Israel vigil for what's been going on in the Middle East and uh, really, I think I think all the shadow cabinet were queuing to get in. The Marissa front bench, our colleague John Connolly was there, and so it was a very, very moving atmosphere. And speaking afterwards, I found myself deeply affected by talking to um, that number of you know Labour Friends of Israel 
activists who are friends and relatives out there. And uh, it was a really, really striking. It was an odd mix. I think this has been a very successful conference with Labour. I think it's a very happy conference. I think unlike last year where, you know, there was that sense of expectation was offset by the chaos of what was going on with the trust government. This one was um, was was a very happy one, only slightly um, tinged by what's going on over there and the tragedies that are coming out of it. And I think I was struck by just a con- you know the contrast between this conference and how you can imagine it could have played out very differently under previous leadership. And I think that really what it, what this conference has demonstrated is both on the point about um, Israel and also what as was previously said on public services is how the last leadership, Jeremy Corbyn's leadership, was, I think, treated by a lot of the party establishment and traditional voices as a sort of aberration, a break away from that. And so we saw a lot of the kind of old faces, or Peter Mandelson, a lot of things this week, he loves the limelight, but also um, on the public services point about um, Isabel Wright's on the coffee house today, talking about how Key West Treating has clearly been talking to Alan Johnson, um, previous Labour health secretary. So I think there's a sense there's a of the kind of Labour establishment of the Blair Brown days for the last you know, 30 years or so, really reconnecting with its leadership. And I think that's going to be important. Um, and that's important for both establishing Labour as the mainstream party, um, and Israel is one example of that, but also just trying to make the most of that, you know, previous government experience in order to produce the best administration possible. And as well, James writes in his politics column this week about um, a great tax debate within the Tory party. And this is about Jake Berry leading a group of MPs to not vote for any more tax increases. How do the two parties come out of this conference season, do you think? It's fascinating because this could be the last conference season before an election, although I think there's also a theory that actually the Conservatives might want to uh, make some money from next year's conference and then go into an election. But certainly Labour has been talking and behaving as though it is on the eve of an election. The Conservatives have been talking and behaving as though, I don't know, the four horsemen of the apocalypse are about to appear because they, they've been behaving sort of quite oddly, I think, if um, if you really think that a, a campaign is, is around the corner. And so the contrast between the two weeks, I mean, look, I think the Conservatives obviously benefited from the comparison with last year's conference where everything was really in meltdown and over Liz Truss. And the meltdown only got worse in the days afterwards. Um, so last week, by comparison, was a good conference. Um, Conservative MPs weren't sort of, you know, clinically depressed and phoning me up to ask for tips on how to embellish their CVs for when they l- lose their seats. But they were also talking far more about what happens after an election defeat than actually how to win an election. And you saw that from interventions even on the stage um you know Suella Braverman Kemi Badenoch sort of setting out their stall as potential future leaders um and the debate on the fringe with Liz Truss's um her, her growth rally and you know attached to that uh, as James writes about this week the uh, the Jake Berry tax revolt as well so you've got this battle of ideas for the future of the party post-election defeat whereas in the Labour Party and this has been profoundly odd for those of us who've got used to covering Labour during the Corbyn years and in the aftermath of the Corbyn years as Keir Starmer tried to get back in control of the party. Um, It was very easy to talk to Labour MPs about what they thought was going wrong. And now they have snapped into a loyalty mode that they were sort of in in 2015 as they came up to that election. But behind the scenes were pretty depressed because they thought they were going to lose that election. 
So this is a loyalty mode that, that I haven't actually seen in my time covering Labour because, you know, I became a political journalist in 2011. So I've always covered them in opposition. Um, and Labour MPs, when they are loyal and they want their party to succeed, are a force to be reckoned with because they do not complain, they do not brief against their leader. Um, they brief against each other. There's still lots of complaining within the Shadow Cabinet about other Shadow Cabinet members and who's arrogant and who's stupid and who's, you know, this, that and the other. Um, but it is fascinating seeing the change in mindset in these Labour MPs and that has impacted on the speeches. So all of the speeches, none of the speeches, in fact, have been seen as a kind of, oh, this person's, you know, tipping their hat at a future leadership contest and all that kind of thing. It's just been none of that this week. Um, it's manifested itself in the fringes where even on really sensitive topics, there haven't really been any fights or, you know, people like Lisa Nandy, who was humiliated in the recent reshuffle, was incredibly loyal in um, her fringe because she really, 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 really wants Labour to win. And so it, it's, you know, I think Katie and I said this yesterday on our podcast, kind of annoying for journalists because we've got really used to sort of saying, so how are you and being knocked back by this gale force of misery from each Labour MP. But they are now kind of eyes on the prize. Um, and I suspect they will have another big wobble between now and, and the election. But I suspect they will also try and keep that wobble much more under wraps than they have in recent years. Yeah, I mean, I think Isabel wrote in her blog today that she said that, you know, you said what was the most common words you hear at a conference? I think it's a variation of, um, oh, it's gone quite well. This is a good one to be at. I mean, the words I heard quite a lot was, um, you know, a variation on don't mess it up. Uh, don't bugger it up, basically. Um, there's a real sense of like, you know, a sort of football team being 3-0 up and they should win. But I think there's a sort of Tottenham Hotspur Spursy streaks in the Labour Party history, which is pulling defeat from the jaws of victory. So I think they're just trying to really kind of, you know, in a, you're in injury time now. Can they just make sure oversee the win? Um, and I think that, yeah, the contrast in messy discipline. I think the other point is that I think the Labour, even the kind of potential for fringes, there weren't many kind of people kicking off on, you know, on, on obvious ones, for instance, like trans issue. There wasn't a, a, anything like that, any headlines that would really cause issues for the leadership. Whereas the Tories, there was, I think, quite a fair few events. I mean, Obviously, you know, the Liz Trust one, um, there was also the New Conservatives rally where I think there's clearly um, a sense of frustration on the, the governing party of today's position. So um, I think, you know, the government is still open to having ECHR membership uh, being some, a topic of debate going into the next manifesto. But I think, you know, there's a clear straining there. And a lot of the energy I found at Tory conference was coming from policies and politicians which were implicitly, if not explicitly, uh, opposed to the governing uh, Rishi Sunak party's uh, um, governing philosophy or, or or actions in office, so that was an interesting kind of contrast. So I suppose it's the energy is like which, it's like a rowing, you know, a, a rowing eight. Are you rowing together or are you rowing in different directions? So I think that was a kind of interesting contrast um, as we head into what you know Parliament comes back next week. Uh, we'll have a spring statement in five weeks' time, and we're, we're the I think coming after conference season when I was talking to a couple of Tory MPs saying you know, this is Rishi's a big chance for a reset. I think that Labour will be more pleased than the Tories about how that's all gone. Thank you, James. Thank you, Isabel. And thank you very much for listening. To get the latest on the war in Israel and Gaza, head to the Spectator website at spectator.co.uk. Sign up to our emails at spectator.co.uk forward slash newsletters or watch Spectator TV 
spectator.co.uk forward slash TV. Tomorrow evening, we'll be putting up a discussion between Paul Wood and Douglas Murray about our cover story this week, Unholy War. Thanks again for listening.